A couple of months ago, I was looking forward uh, at the calendar and just here in June and um, looking at how we had the Neelands with us. And while we were considering that, I just felt like the Lord pressed upon my heart. I think Jason has a word for us, something very specific from him to us today. And so I'm going to join him for a second here in prayer. And then I'm just going to ask the Lord to prepare our hearts to receive what it is the Lord's placed upon his heart today. So would you bow your heads with me as we pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this worship here today. We thank you, Lord, that morning has come and there's new life in Jesus Christ, the resurrected King of glory. And Father, thank you for the word that you've pressed upon Jason's heart to share with us. Uh, we believe this is a divine appointment, a moment that you have for each one of us. So Lord, settle our hearts to receive today what it is that you've pressed upon him to share. We ask for your anointing and your blessing now, and we thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor, and thank you, Church. I, uh, I don't take this privilege and this honor lightly. Thank you so very much. It's, we've always so encouraged by your church, and uh, we're so glad to be here today to share who the Lord is and what he's done. Specifically, I want to speak to the men, the fathers, and uh, the family unit today. I know this is Father's Day, so happy Father's Day from me to you, and I appreciate. There's nothing better, there's nothing that contributes to the strength of society, the strength of church or community or a home, than a spiritual leader, a spiritual father. And equally so, there's nothing that begins to demise our society, our homes, our churches, our communities, than a father who is not a spiritual leader. It can be a very destructive. We all are greatly impacted by the father figures in our life, either good or bad. But aren't you glad that we have the perfect example in our heavenly father, the Lord Jesus, that we all can look to today to find grace and help in a time of need. So if you'll do me a favor, if you'll open up your Bible, I'm not going to be long today. I'm going to be short and hopefully not boring and, uh, We'll close with another song today, and then we'd love to meet with you. Uh, I'm going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, a very, very familiar portion of Scripture. And I'll begin reading in verse 7, and these are the words of Jesus. And when you arrive there in your Bible, just say amen, and I'll begin to read. All right, thank you so much. Then Jesus said unto them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they may have life, comma, and that they might have life more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Jesus has pictured himself as a shepherd, as a leader. And we know from his earthly example, it was one of perfection, but it was also one of humility. He served uh, those that he came to lead. He was a perfect example of all things for us to follow, especially 
for fathers, leaders, spiritual leaders in the home. He likens himself into a shepherd, and I think that's unique because in those days, the shepherds were kind of looked down upon in society. They weren't even allowed to come into the temple because they were considered unclean and dirty because of their occupation. And I know a lot of, I grew up on a farm in eastern Kentucky, and I know a lot of farmers, we can kind of relate with that. We have a dirty job every once in a while. You know, can I get an amen from the farmers? Well, that's about three of you. We're going to work on that, okay? But uh, they weren't even allowed to testify in court. Do you know if the only witness in the court of law, in the pharisaical law, if it was just a shepherd, then that testimony was thrown out. It wasn't even received. So they were looked down upon. But Jesus likened himself unto a shepherd. He came to lead. He would lay down his life for the sheep. The sheep knew his voice. And I think that it's really, really important that we understand that Jesus was willing to take upon himself a humble persona to lead, not from a, from a highly position, not from an exalted throne, even though he was and is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He humbled himself for fallen man to show us an example, an earthly example, God in the flesh. This is is how you lead men. So today I'm going to speak to you really briefly on attributes of the king's men. And the main idea today, I've written this down this morning and I want to read this. The main idea of today's sermon is Jesus is king. Whether you agree with that or whether you don't agree with that, there is no argument there. Jesus is king. And one day every knee shall bow before the king of kings. And confess that he is Lord of Lords. So Jesus is king, and to compromise on the values of the king and his kingdom is basically treason. A real man's success in Jesus' eyes is not about prestige, power, or position, but instead he looks to see whether or not we have been faithful. And being faithful to Jesus will often cause us to be at odds with this world. Many, many times we are faced with decisions as we lead our homes, we lead our families. Men, no one other than Jesus knows the weight that you bear. And a lot of times because of our dexterity and the strength that we have outwardly, it's hard for us to express the weight that we bear upon our shoulders, the responsibility that we have. We live in a society that is basically casting out the strength of a man. They're trying to redefine what a man is. I mean, we live in a society that is basically trying to make us genderless. We're living in a society where there's the world is filled with fatherless children. We live in a society where where homes are broken and wives are betrayed, and we live in a society where where those that had a father have now been forsaken. We live in a society where men are power hungry and they're, they're filled with self-ambition and they're ruled by uh, the things of the world and their moral compass has gone awry and they compromise and, and, and just to get a little head in, in, in the world, whether it be with their, their occupation or their position. We, this is the kind of society that we live in. And this is the kind of society, society that media is touting and said, this is a man, this is a man. 
the bigger boats, the bigger houses, the bigger 401ks, this is the strength of a man. But Jesus said none of these things, power, prestige, none of those things make up a real man. Following Jesus. You know, many times men today have sacrificed their families. They've laid their children upon a sacrificial altar for the things of the world. You say, Jason, well, that's not me. Well, you know, anything that becomes between our relationship with God, anything that becomes between us and the Lord, do you realize is an idol? You know, we talk of idols and we think it's some little statue that we sit up on a shelf somewhere like in the old days in the Old Testament. And we think that that's bowing down before an idol like in the book of Daniel when Nebuchadnezzar set before them an idol. But truly, an idol could be anything that we put before our relationship with God. An idol could be money. An idol could be our careers. An idol can even become good things in your life, like things that we want to do to provide for our families. We want to give them a better home and a better life and a better education, and we, we get so caught up in the pursuit of these worldly things that that pursuit in of itself becomes an idol because we have sacrificed our families and our children's future to get just a little ahead in life. Man, I want to challenge us today that we become truly men of the king. And I hope that I can share a few words, a few scriptures that will help us do that. If I compromise on one principle where do I draw the line? If I begin to compromise on the smallest details of my life, where does that stop? The book of Judges, chapter 2 and verse 10, you don't have to turn there, but I will read. If you're making notes, the book of Judges, chapter 2, verse 10 through 12. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he has done in Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They served Balaam. They forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. Now, I know that in context, that's speaking to the children of Israel, but absolutely, we can divide, we can apply that devotional truth to our lives today. Many men in our society, even in our churches, we've sacrificed our families, and now our children are forsaking the God of our fathers. You say, well, it's the generation that we're in. These kids, they don't understand what it is to be men and women of God. Well, I'm going to lay the responsibility right at the doorstep of the spiritual leaders of our homes, the fathers today, myself included. You realize that if you would begin to read just a little bit of the statistics within evangelical churches do you realize how many of our generation of young people are leaving the church when they're able, when they turn 18, 19, they go to college? You, do you realize the percentages are nearly 80% of young people are leaving our churches and they're never coming back? 
What are we doing? Is it the music? No, it's never the music. Is it the style of preaching? No, it's not the style of preaching. Is it because we don't have enough cool things? No, it's none of those things. You can have all the programs in the world, but without authentic biblical leaders in the home, they've lost their identity. Our generation has an identity crisis. They don't know who they are. Do you understand? I, I, I grew up, I was talking with your, your pastor. I grew up in, a, in a, a, a religion that was, it's not really known around the world. It's, so, it's just a small sect of people. It's really, really close to the Amish. It was called Pilgrim Holiness. Anybody ever heard of Pilgrim Holiness? Don't everybody raise your hand at once. It's so small, but it was, it was kind of like the Amish. So I'm going to speak a little bit on, on that because that's kind of what I was raised in. We didn't have a TV in my home uh, growing up, you know, and it was, just, it was just really primitive, really simple. And there's a lot of things that I celebrate because of my upbringing, because things in my home we were made to do. So in the Amish home, a lot like the home that I was raised in, Every single evening, the family must gather around the dinner table and have family dinner. Literally, everybody in the same room. Not fast food, not going out. Everybody in the same room having dinner together. And you know what? Every good Amish home has to have two books. One is the Bible, and the other book is what they call the... Uh, I can't pronounce it properly, the ox, oxman, it's the, the Amish hymnal, okay? So every night, the patriarch, the leader of the home, he begins to read some scripture before they have family dinner. Then they begin to sing an Amish hymn, which teaches them their theology and doctrine, and it rehearses what God has done in their lives and where they've come from and how he's brought them through, much like the Hebrews in the days of old. Now, here's something that will blow your mind. Comparatively speaking to the statistic of our young people. So, you know, the Amish family have that season when they allow their young people to enter into the world. That's where we get the term sowing our wild oats. And they allow their young people to go and experience secular culture for a time. And they are allowed to make their own decision whether we want to stay in the world or do we want to come back home into the traditions of our family. 95% of Amish young people retain to the life that they've been raised in. They come back, 95%. So what's the difference? They don't have an identity crisis. They spent so much time with family, with the Word of God, even singing about their faith that there's no identity crisis. It's so rare for an Amish person to break loose from the family. They made a TV show about it. How many have watched the reality show Breaking Amish or something like that? I know my, see, it's so rare they made a television show out of it. They just don't leave. So there's something that you and I, men, we've got to learn from that. We've got to say, okay, what am I doing that's causing this generation to leave our homes and our churches? They have an identity crisis. It's up to you and I, as the men of our home, the spiritual leaders of our home, to teach our children the precepts, the word, the law of the Lord. 
We must meditate upon this. We must teach our children this. And then we must teach them why we believe things. This is why we tithe to our church. This is why we help a brother in need. This is why we try to be a good neighbor. This is the golden rule. We, we must teach them and lead by example. We must remind them that they are children of the king of kings and that they don't have to search the world. We send them out there and say, go find yourself. That's not what the word of God teaches us. And so many times, like the prodigal son, they get out there and they lose themselves and they've forgotten all about their homeland and their heavenly father. Fathers, it's time for us to step up and be men of the king. So men of promise, number one. How do we be a man of promise? Galatians uh, 6, verse 7 and 8 says, Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Farmers, how many of y'all know that when you, when you sow some corn, you're going to reap corn? How many of y'all know that? All right, yeah. Well, we got 12 good farmers here. Thank you so much. We're getting better. We're getting better. You don't plant apple seeds and get a corn stalk, right? Well, the same concept, you can never escape the law of reaping and sowing. It doesn't matter if you're a believer, if you're not a believer, you can never escape it. God made it into law, and it will not change. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. It's very important that we realize that. And also, men of promise, the Scripture says that if we sow sparingly, we will reap sparingly. We should be men that are filled with promise, with covenant, and pass that on to our families, pass that victorious lifestyle on to our children. Do you realize when Jesus said that I came that you would have life, comma, and life more abundant. Do you realize he's talking about two different lives there? He's talking about, I came that you have life, that you're born, reborn, born again into the spirit. Jesus said, you must be born again. So I came that you have life, salvation, comma, and that you would have life more abundantly. Now he's talking about the life that we live here before we get to heaven. He wants to live this life abundantly. He wants us to live a life that's victorious. He wants us to live a life that's filled with promise and with good things. So those of us, those of us men that sow sparingly, we reap sparingly. And whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. You sow anger, you're going to reap anger. You sow betrayal, you're going to reap betrayal. You sow faith, you'll reap faith. You sow kindness, you'll reap kindness. You sow grace and mercy and love. These things shall you also reap. Jesus said, men, all of us, but specifically men this morning, I've come that you would have life, comma, and life more abundant. That's the kind of men, that's the kind of homes he wants us to have. Men of promise. He also wants us to be men of principle. Joshua in eight says, the law shall not depart out of my mouth. He says that if I would meditate upon the law, that he would make our ways prosperous. This life, he would prosper if we would learn to meditate upon the law of the Lord. 
He not only wants us to be men of promise, men of principle, but he wants us to be men of power. Galatians 5 and 14, it says, love thy neighbor as thyself. Now see, a lot of times this society paints men of power as men of, that hold title, men that have large bank accounts. And it seems like the more money and the higher the position, they, 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 they accumulate power and prestige, and they think that, that is what defines success. But as we've talked about in our main idea for the, the message this morning, Jesus said, no, I'm, I'm the shepherd. Look at me. This is my example. I, w- I would lay down my life for the sheep. I would lay down my life. We, men, we say this all the time, and I believe that we believe this. I would lay down my life for my wife and my children. And I know that you would say, I would lay down my life for my kids, my grandkids, my wife. But why not just give our life for them? Why not? Why can't we just learn to be men of promise, men of principle, and men of power, loving our neighbors? It is a sin when we have something good in our hands and we withhold it from those that are in need. Let's be generous in our giving. Let's look for needs. We are blessed not to just consume blessing, but we are blessed to bless others. Men of promise, men of principle, men of power. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58 says that men, we should be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We can also be men of prosperity. We pray for God's blessing and God blessed this beautiful farmland with a wonderful, refreshing rain this morning. Can you say amen? He's been so faithful. He's been so faithful. Last year, I look at my year last year, friends. I, went, I know we all faced so much last year. COVID came and it turned the world upside down and we realized What we thought was secure, what we thought we'd spend a lifetime building in just a matter of days crumbled to nothing. This 45-year, three, now four-generation ministry, we were almost on life support, 101 cancellations. We have 11 employees, not just what you see here, but we have more people at home that help us in the offices and things like that. I didn't think we were going to make it. In the midst of all of that, our farm was completely shut down. They shut down all the beef processing plants. We couldn't ship out any beef. We have a wedding venue. We had 32 weddings canceled. I didn't know what we were going to do. In the midst of all this COVID stuff, I had open heart surgery last year. I was down for three months. The day the doctor gave me the release to get out and kind of get active again, I was so tired of being cooped up. I went down there, and this horse that we were aborting was giving some riders some trouble. I went down there in the corral, and that mean old sucker kicked me in this knee, shattered that knee, and I went right back to the hospital. (laughs) My doctor's like, what are you doing? And I couldn't walk for three months. I had to have emergency knee surgery, and I got a new shin. And it's you don't want to fly with me. It takes forever going through the security now. But uh, but that was my year last year. And then my dad went into complete renal failure, and all these things just piled up, piled up, piled up. 
And it seemed like God was just an entire universe away from my troubles. I remember on one of my darkest days, and I'll, I'll be transparent with you, I was going through depression. I guess I had kind of put my identity in the things that I had built, my music career and our ministry. I guess I'd put my identity in the legacy of our farm and what we were leaving our children. Like I said, those things became an idol, even good things like a ministry. Sometimes we can be so busy about the work of the Lord that we forget about the Lord of the work. And I think I'd gotten to that place. I was pursuing so many things of success. And God just had to put me on my back for a few weeks. And he can do that. Men, sometimes... We are the strongest when we're the weakest. And that was me. I remember one morning, I have a routine when I'm at home. I don't know if we have any coffee drinkers. I'm a coffee drinker. Your pastor has already made me a whole pot this morning. We have any coffee drinkers here? All right. I knew I sensed a kindred spirit. I don't want to, you know, throw a commercial out, but we've got these fancy coffee cups. Uh, This keeps your coffee warm for like 48 days. Happy Father's Day, Pastor. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm not a Starbucks guy. I'm a Dunkin' Donuts guy. That's my favorite cup of coffee. And uh, so we live out in the country now, and I have to drive about 20 minutes to get a medium cup of black coffee, $2.24. That's what I do every morning when I'm at home. I just like to drive. I get there, and I get my coffee, and I get in my truck. I've got a diesel truck. I love the sound of a diesel truck. And I open up my Bible, and I have study for about an hour before I come back home, and that's my routine. And I remember they had just given me my license back, and I could drive. And I was just feeling sorry for myself. And I remember saying something like, God, I don't know what you're doing in our life. Everything, we're losing everything. I don't know what's going on. It seems like you're so far away. God, I tried to read that morning. The Bible's just blank pages. I tried to pray. I couldn't even focus on my thought life. I was taking inventory of my problems, and that's the worst thing we can do. That's the quickest way to defeat. I remember saying something really simple. God, If it'd be okay, I need to hear from you today. Something, just an encouragement, something. But if you don't, by faith, I choose to still trust you. Got in the drive-thru line to hand the lady like I do every morning, my credit card for a medium cup of black coffee, you know. She said, sir, you don't owe me anything for that coffee. It's already been taken care of. The, the car in front of you, they said they wanted to pay it forward. I said, well, that's awfully nice. We got some nice farmers in Georgia too, you guys. She said, well, they told me to tell you one other thing. They said, be encouraged because Jesus loves you. Now, I know that if there's a cynic in the room, that doesn't seem like a big deal. I mean, Jason was just a cup of coffee. I'm telling you, God was using Dunkin' Donuts to send me a message of love that morning. <laughs> Amen. And he'll do the very same for you. If you'll just open up your eyes, pay attention. I looked at that young lady and I said, ma'am, you'll have no idea what that means to me. I'm a believer. I'm a believer. 
And on the way here, I was just praying that God would use somebody or something to encourage me or touch me, touch what I'm going through. My family and I, we've been going through a lot this year. And now he's using you and somebody I'll probably never meet on this side of heaven is buy me a cup of coffee in Jesus' name. I believe in the power of kindness. I believe in paying it forward. I believe in being uh, people of integrity and promise and generous. And, and I, I was so excited. I said, I, I want to keep this thing going. I, too, would like to pay it forward. I gave her this whole speech, and she just stared at me stoically, you know. And I said, ma'am, what's the problem? I, I just want to pay it forward. And then she pointed her finger at me. She said, well, I've got to give you fair warning. That SUV behind you, that's a ball team you're fixing to take care of this morning. <laughs> My little $2 cup of coffee cost me $44 that morning. But that's okay. Because God heard my prayers. And he hears yours. Men of promise, men of principle, men of power, men of prosperity. I'm going to close with this promise that God has given us. Everything in our lives that we touch for his glory and our good can and shall prosper, but... There's a small little requirement. I want you to turn with me. I don't want you to miss this. This is a promise. How can everything in my life prosper, Jason? Well, I'm going to show you by the Word of God. Let's turn to Psalm 1, the first book of the Psalms, Psalm 1. And I'm going to read. Here is the key to prosperity for the king's men. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. There's requirement number one. Nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. You know what a scornful person is? It's a person who complains all the time. Men, may we fill our homes with words of promise, words of affirmation. Not complaining, not always talking down. We are not men of defeat. Jesus said, I've come that you would have life, comma, and life more abundant. We are not defeated, so don't be a scornful person. But his delight, this man's delight, is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. There's that requirement again. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. That is a strong tree because the roots are strong and they're watered and they're nourished. That brings fruit, that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he, that man, does shall prosper. That's a promise given to the king's men. So help us be the men of promise, men of principle, men of power, and we can be men of prosperity. Let's change our homes. Let's change our lives. Let's change our communities. Men, it's up to us. It's in the power of our hand. Jesus said, when you, when you have good, don't hold it. Give it. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the gospel, the greatest gift that you've ever given to us. We thank you, Father, that 
Even when we were yet in sin, you came to us. You've given us this gift of grace, salvation, redemption. You've reconciled us into a holy God. And now we can be called, because of Jesus, sons and daughters of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you for these men. These are strong men. These are men that understand reaping and sowing. These are men that watch their lives by what they put in the ground, and then you bring the harvest. Lord, help us also have eyes of spirituality as we realize as we plant seeds of joy and seeds of the gospel. And as we follow the command that you've given us in the Great Commission, that we also can be men of integrity, men of promise, not just for our secular lives, not just for the physical life, but spiritually for the kingdom. Help us truly be the king's men. Thank you for this time that we've had together of worship. Lord, I believe that our hearts are in tune. Spirit of God, we know that you are the teacher. You lead and guide us into all truth. Illuminate the word of God that we've heard this morning. May it change us before we leave this place. And all heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You say, Jason, thank you. I needed that word. God has encouraged me and inspired me and challenged me. If you're here this morning, man or woman, would you simply raise your hand, put it right back down. You say, I've been challenged and inspired. God bless you. 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 Thank you, families. God bless you all over the church. Maybe you're here this morning. You have the greatest need of all, the need of salvation. Jesus said, I've come that you have life, salvation. You can't have abundant life without knowing the Lord as Savior. And maybe that you're, you're not even on the left side of that comma. You don't know Jesus as Savior. You're here this morning. No one's looking around. You can feel free to lift your hand in response. I just want to know how I can pray for you. Jason, I'm not sure that I know Jesus Christ as my Savior. Would you and your family please remember me in prayer? Would you, would you just be bold enough to lift up your hand and put it right back down? God bless you, sir. Is anybody else? God bless you, ma'am and ma'am. Anybody else? God bless you. I'm going to pray, and it's not really a prayer that you pray or anything like that. It's just believing in your heart that Jesus died and rose again for your sins. It's believing and confessing that you're a sinner and that you need him as your Savior. And I truly believe, just like the word says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. So maybe you can pray in your heart something like this. Father, I realize that I'm a sinner. I realize that you are the son of the living God. I believe that you died for my sin. I believe that you rose again in victory over death, hell, and the grave. I ask that you come into my heart, cleanse me from my sin, cleanse me from my unrighteousness. Would you live inside my heart? I want to be a son of God. I want to be a daughter of the King. Jesus, would you save me? By your grace, I believe. If you prayed that prayer this morning, no one's looking around, but I do believe this. It's really important that when you accept Jesus as your Savior, that you're bold enough, your first testimony can be right here. Your first witness can be right here, right now. 
Would you say, Jason, I prayed that prayer. I received Christ into my heart this morning. Would you raise your hand boldly and put it right back down? I just want to celebrate with you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you in the back. God bless you, man. God bless you. Thank you so much. Praise the Lord. To my knowledge, seven people have received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior this morning. That's something to be excited about. To all the church, you can look up now. I really appreciate this privilege of sharing the Lord. Jesus said, I've come that you have life and life abundant. Enjoy this life. In spite of the circumstances, in spite of whatever the world. Last year, we were on life support. We all thought the world was crumbling. But you know what? Here we are in June, Father's Day of 2021, and we are still standing by His grace and for His glory. Let Him know we love Him.